Get thee behind me, Satan. Mm Welcome to Season 3, Episode 18 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and or debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I think the key word today is probably the word difficult. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And today on the podcast, we will not be joined by my usual co-host, Patrick Reed, uh, he is over in the Gambia and Africa, and he had a meeting that was called in conflict with this particular recording session, so he'll not be w- uh, with us today, but uh, y'all pray for him as he's ministering over there in the Gambia. But we do have a guest on the podcast today. He is one of our newest members at Grace Baptist Church, Cody Stevens. Cody, welcome to Grace or Grit. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Well, I'm doing much better now that we've got everything rolling. Uh, I just want to set the expectations as high as I possibly can. Uh, For those who are listening, uh, this is take two of our podcast. Uh, We were 20 minutes in or something like that, 15 minutes in, and realized we were having audio problems. So uh, we've had nothing but trouble so far. We assume that Satan is after us and trying to prevent Cody's story from getting out there. Um, So... I'm, I'm praying again, and Cody, you can pray under your breath that God will uh, put Satan behind us and we'll, uh, we'll accomplish the purpose now. Um, so where to start? We'll, we'll avoid all the pleasantries that we've already been through, and we'll just get right to the point. Cody is, uh, like I said, a new member at Grace. We've had about, a, um, I think, nine or ten folks join our church in the past month, and Cody and his wife, Joan, or among them. So uh, why don't we just start out with you telling us the story of how you came to faith in Christ, and then we'll get to the topic for today. The title for today's podcast is hashtag Team Luke Zechariah, and so we'll say more about that as we go along here, but just tell us how you came to know the Lord. Sure. So um, I'll back all the way up to, I guess, my childhood. Our family grew up in Graysonville, Maryland, uh, just close to the Bay Bridge, and um, with that, our family was not necessarily a, a church-going family. Um, we were, you know, I use the expression Hollywood or holiday Christians, just because uh, you have Easter come around, Christmas come around, and there's different events, and, you know, it's fun, so we'll take part in it, you know. Um, but didn't, you know, dedicate Sundays to church in any stretch. Um, and usually the, the events that were taking place were, you know, at the local, you know, Methodist church there in Graysonville. That was just the biggest church in town. They always had the bigger events, and so that's where we would go. Um, with that, you know, we we did have fun. You know, we would hear the different stories that you were know, really good kids' stories, you know, um, not necessarily the, the harder conversations, but just the, the encouraging, you know, motivating stories of the Bible. 
uh, but never really truly heard the gospel for what it was. So, uh, you know, we would go and otherwise, you know, we were just a typical family, you know, in the world living in Graysonville. So with me growing up, um, you know, anybody that knows me um, wouldn't be able to tell by my physical attributes, um, but I was a bit smaller. I was definitely more athletic. And not only was I into sports, but I actually traveled quite a bit uh, teaching and competing in dance, believe it or not. And so with that, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily believe it unless you were there. But with that came some attention. Uh, it came with its own tempt, uh, temptations, its own trials. Um, with that, you know, being a teenager, I got into things that are not supposed to be available to me as a teenager. Um, and then from there, it led me to different things that are not supposed to be you know, in our hands in general. So I can, I'll leave it there without giving any glory to it. You can take that for what it is. But, you know, with that, uh, there was a lot of negativity. There was a lot of sin that was kind of captured in that, but there was a lot of positive that came with it too. I did learn, you know, business ethics. I learned, you know, contract and discussion, negotiation, things like that, as well as working with nonprofits. So, there was some positive that came with it, but the cons definitely outweighed the pros in talking about some of that. Um, with that, you know, we had our typical things that would happen at home. You know, I, I am the youngest of three of us. I am the only boy. And I was mama's little buddy. So I was a spoiled rotten little brat uh, is the way that my sisters might have named me, which was accurate. You know, looking back on it now, I got away with a lot. Um, and when I was younger, traveling, doing the different things that I was doing, obviously I was getting away with things there too. So I kind of had my way as a kid more than I didn't, um, but it all came crumbling down really quick. Um, my, my mother, who had had some health issues anyway, um, she had started to get worse over time and did pass away in 2004. I looked at mom as my biggest fan. Um, you know, she supported me. She took care of me. She vouched for me when I was making mistakes. You know, she, she was my everything at the time. And when she passed away, my, my whole world just went into a, a tornado. Um, everything fell apart for me. So I lost interest in a lot of what I was doing. So I didn't, I wasn't interested in competing and teaching anymore. I wasn't interested in the travel as much anymore. Uh, you know, a lot of what I was interested in took a hit. Uh, I graduated 2003. So at the time I was looking into college as well. I tried it out. And again, my interest just wasn't there. Um, so I didn't do well there. And I walked away from it. You know, uh, it's definitely some decisions in there that, you know, I wish I didn't make at the time, but I felt at the time they were appropriate. So uh, with that, you know, when my, when my mom passed away, my sister, Jessie, who's closest to my age, the middle sister, um, she went right to Christ. I, you know, she had heard the gospel before from friends when she was growing up. Um, but interestingly enough, my family kind of went against what she had learned there uh, and kind of encouraged her to stay away from that group of people that taught her the gospel. It was looked at negatively. Um, and so when mom passed away, and Jesse ran to Christ, uh, it was a shock to us a bit. And in many ways, we kind of, you know, we, we, we look negatively on her. 
Um, and so in 2006, two years after mom passed away, there was an event going on at her church. And she was, you know, basically she was all but begging us to come. And me, I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to silence her. I'm just going to go. I'll go to, to appease her and we're going to deal with that. And the, the preacher at the time, looking at it now, I mean, it's, it was completely, it was all God. Uh, because the preacher at the time spoke exactly what had been going on. He, um, he had gotten into drugs. He had gotten into alcohol. He had lost a lot of things in his life. He was part of a gang. And when everything came crumbling down, there was only one place to go for him, and that was to Christ. And so the message that he, that he gave that night, it was entitled, It Better Be Real. And it made me reflect on my past. It was very much, uh, you know, what I was, what I had done, what I was around. It was all based around show. It was all a show. Uh, whether I was choreographing for a show, like literally, or whether I was putting up a front, my everything in my past was a show. It was not, there was nothing real about it. And the only thing that was real at the time to me was mom. Um, and I had just lost her. So it was a devastating blow for me, but the Lord used that to get my attention. And he used this preacher in the way that he, that he preached, uh, you know, to really bring me closer to Christ. And it was at that event that I got saved. Um, and and I'll, I'll never forget just how it was because we all have our different ways. And I, I'll honestly, I, I'll tell you, I'm stubborn. <laughs> uh, you know, the, if you're going to get my attention, you have to be bold about it. And that's just how it's going to be. And it was actually some of the boldest preaching I'd ever heard. Um, and it, that's what got my attention. Um, so I ended up getting saved 2006. Still didn't run right into, I guess, what we would consider the good Christian lifestyle. There were still a lot of things in my life that I held on to that I was not ready to let go of. There was people that I was not ready to let go of. Um, and so I, I still very much lived in the world. And with that, I want to back up a little bit, just to kind of preface when mom passed away in 2004, a little bit before that, we moved to Linkwood, Maryland, which is about, you know, it's maybe even five minutes or so from here. And, you know, she wanted to do that because she wanted to be closer to her family, which had lived in Cambridge. Through that, um, I was able to meet up with some old friends uh, that we, you know, mutually knew, one of which being my now wife, Joan. Um, her entire family, they were raised, uh, born and raised in secretary, a dedicated Catholic family. Uh, it was definitely, you know, they had had their own share of struggles. And um, at the time, you know, in 2004, I had lost everything. I was just looking for something to, break, to lift me up. You know, Joan had also been going through some things. And, you know, I went to her and I was like, you know what? We've been friends for a while. I met her when I was 13 and we had just re, you know, kind of reunited. I was like, you know, nothing connected to it. Let's just, let's just go. We'll hang out. We'll spend some time together and we'll try to encourage each other. And so, you know, with that, um, you know, we ended up really connecting. And within that year, I proposed to her. So, you know, here we are, you know, now we're, now we're a couple um, still trying to grow out of the hard times that we had already faced. Joan had already had two kidney transplants at this point. And that's something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's something a lot of people don't know. Uh, well, I'm sorry. She had actually had one at the time. She actually had one with me, which is another great story I can fill you in on. Um, but she had already had one kidney transplant and she was having some health trouble with the second one. 
Um, and so we just were really looking for the positivity. We're looking for a change. Um, and we kind of coasted um, from, I would say that, you know, that time that we got married, you know, 2009 to about 2013, um, just doing what we could. In that time, we had had three miscarriages. Um, you know, some of it might have been health related. I, we tend to lean now more towards it was just God telling us it wasn't the time, you know. Um, and we had to learn something. We did. We learned something from each of those, you know, each of those miscarriages. But the, I think the hardest one was the third one, which we had to deliver. He would have been Cody Stevens Jr., William Cody Stevens Jr. Um, and we had to deliver him stillborn, which was another crushing blow. Yeah. So it, we went from there. We're like, you know what? At this point, we need to start making changes. Um, in 2013 was when Joan was introduced to the Lord through a ladies meeting to the same church that I was introduced to Christ officially. Um, and it was at that same year, uh, I think, believe it was in May of that year that she had, um, you know, she had gotten saved. It was that August that there was another meeting, um, just like the one that I was at when I got saved. And I was called to preach at the time. Uh, it definitely mm -hmm. heavy on my heart. So from there, we're like, you know, we really need to, to start making some changes. And it took us a little time we decided that we were going to move. We were going to leave Linkwood. And it was nothing other than the fact that we needed to get closer to Christ. We were surrounded by all the things that were keeping us away from him. Um, and so we decided that we needed to move. So we moved to Church Hill, Maryland, um, much to the dismay of a lot of family and friends we had in the area. They didn't understand it. We were, right. we were abandoning them. Um, you know, and it was very hard for everybody to accept. And it was kind of hard. Um, you know, for the first little while. But I can say that we moved into Church Hill and that same week that we had moved in, Joan found out that she was pregnant with Luke um, and he is now six years old. Mm -hmm. so, you know, cool. if you want to talk about, you know, God telling you, you know, that, you know, you're on track, we definitely took that as kind of a cue. You know, we had gone through all these hard times. We had seen all of this. You know, we had gone through these miscarriages. We decided we need to make a change. We move away. The same week that we move, Joan's pregnant. You know, mm -hmm. up having him, he went full term. Um, you know, now in between that, I can say that, you know, Joan did end up having to have a second transplant. Um, and that was all divine <laughs> because we were literally had gone to a concert, um, had met someone there, met a couple there that had just had a child come to find out he was a military veteran who did two tours in Iraq, two tours in Afghanistan, and he was infantry. Mm -hmm. So his response when we found, when he found, or when we found out that Joan needed a second kidney, he wanted to see if he could just be a candidate. Hmm. And the response was, well, you know, from us, you know, don't feel obligated. You don't need to do that. You know, you, your friendship is definitely enough. You know, um, he's like, no, he said, you don't understand. He's like, two tours in Iraq, two in Afghanistan. I've taken a lot of lives. Mm. If just give one back. Yeah. And so he tried. And out of nine of us, I believe that day, he was the only perfect candidate. Wow. So he donated to her. And we're still friends with them to this day. Um, but it wasn't much after that. But like I said, we moved. We started getting our life back on track that Joan became pregnant with Luke. And now 
he is a rambunctious six-year-old. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of where things stood. You know, we're, we're very happy with that. And, you know, the story goes on a bit, but I feel it appropriate to hang on to that until we really tell the story of what's been going on with Luke and why, you know, maybe why this segment's called Team Luke Zachariah. Yeah, so I met you uh, through your sister. Um, I didn't know you were a dancer. I knew she was a dancer. Uh, if you go back for the listeners, you go back and listen to the podcast from September of last year, I think it was. Uh, we had Mandy on. And since then, I think, I believe this is the correct order. We had um, your brother-in-law, Russ, on, Mandy's husband as well. But I knew Mandy was a dancer, but I didn't know you were. That's, you got You guys got to start a dance team at Grace. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. So uh, to, to back up where it all came from and, and we're going to get some laughs out of it, but you know what? I don't care because it's our story. So take it for what right. it is. <laughs> um, when I was eight, um, my sister or our sister, Jessie, um, to, to put the order together, Mandy is the oldest, then it's Jessie and then it's myself. Um, Jessie and one of her friends, her friends introduced, or introduced her to country line dancing. Right. And, you know, she was going to go and all. So I was like, well, fine, we'll go, whatever. I was at the local Moose in Great, there in Graysonville, so we'll go. And, you know, I'm sitting there at the chair and I'm sitting at the desk and I'm like moving my feet, you know. Well, mom's like, you know, you need to get out there. You need to start dancing, you know. If that's what, you know, I'm, of course, I'm all shy. I'm eight years old. I don't know anything about that stuff. And if any of my friends found that I was doing that, they'd make fun of me. So I was not going to do it. Um, but it wasn't until I started seeing, believe it or not, some of the apparel. There were some really cool boots coming out there. You know, it was during the, the, the big country push, you know, and everything was really cool at that point. Um, everybody started coming out with the cowboy hats. And I was like, well, I think that stuff's cool. You know, I like that stuff. And mom started making me deals. Well, if you go dance, you go learn this one. I'll go buy you boots. You know, you go learn this. I'll go buy you a hat. And that's how it all started. Um, I think Mandy was the was the third one in line to, to join in because it was Jesse started, then I jumped in, and then I think Mandy did. I, and she might correct me with that, but um, it was it was exercise, you know, and it was fun, and it was a way for our family to kind of stay together and do something together. So, you know, we did that, and then come to find out as we got older that we weren't actually bad at it. You know, we started learning about these local competitions and things, and we would go and we started to win. Um, you know, and then that's why I do think looking back now, it was there was nothing bad natured about it. There, there's there right. nothing, you know, in a negative light to it. It was all in good fun and it kept our family together. Um, but it wasn't until I started to get older and realizing, oh, there's more. There's more that I can get my hands on. And oh, nobody will ever know um, that there was there was a downward spiral for me. Um that I really, I kept under wraps for a long time because, you know, Jesse had started to go to high school. She was into cheerleading. You know, Mandy was married, had her own life. And this was my thing, you know? And so I could do that and I was getting away with things. And when I'm on the road and I'm by myself, nobody knew. Um, and so in the same way that I was keeping these secrets, um, my, my crash after it was very private too. Um, yeah. I, I, everybody knew about how bad it hurt me when mom passed, but there was a lot of things that I was very much used to that I had to stop and I had to stop cold turkey or people were going to find out. Um, and so I had to do that on my own. And there's still stories to this day I, and I will not glorify them. 
Um, yeah. But there are stories there that I, I have never told, and I probably won't. Uh, yeah. Because now I see it as it's under the blood. If God's forgotten it. Why should we recall it, right? Why should we repeat it? That's good. Absolutely, yeah. So hashtag Team Luke Zechariah. Tell us Luke's story. You said he's six years old. He's a big six, by the way. He's tall. He's a six-year-old. Oh, he's, he's a big six. And, and I think he gets, he's going to get his height. I think the height skips generations because anybody that knows me and mom, we're short people. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm taller than mom. I think I'm only 5'9 right now. I think it's because I shrunk. Um, right. You know, so... But my my dad at his tallest, I believe, was he was six two. I think her dad at his at her yeah, sorry, at his tallest was six four. All right. Yeah. So skipping generations, I think that by the time Luke turns ten, he's going to be taller than both of us. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big fan of tall. So um, tell us um, how old was Luke when you realized he he's got something going on here. He's got some health difficulty that's that's a problem. Yeah. So when he, um, well, at 18 months old, when he was 18 months, that was the confirmation. Before that, there was some concern. There was concern because he wasn't using his left hand much. He hadn't attempted to crawl. His speech was a little delayed, you know, and we went to, we went to his, you know, pediatrician and voiced his concerns and it was all just kind of shrugged off. Oh, well, he's just really mm. hand dominant. You know, his speech will come when he's ready. He'll crawl yep. when he's ready. Like every kid's different. And yep. he took his word for it. I mean, it's our only child. So, okay, we'll go with that. Um, but at 18 months, I'll never forget it because it was a Sunday. We were getting ready to leave for church. Uh, and our 18-month-old fell over into a seizure. Mm. Uh, and when your 18-month-old falls into a seizure, it's turning blue, and you have no idea what's going on, you know, you go into a panic. So, Obviously, we didn't make it to church that day. We took him right to children, uh, right to AI DuPont in Wilmington, and they immediately hooked him up to the MRIs, EEGs, to figure out what's going on. And they no sooner hooked him up to an EEG, he went into another seizure. So we were able to catch it, which you don't want seizures, but if he's going to have one, that's I guess that's how you need to do it. So over time, he had the MRI. We stayed there for a couple of days, and a diagnosis came down that Luke has a rare disorder. And the long name is called polymicrogyria, PNG for short. But if you break down the word, poly means many, micro is small, and a gyria is the gray matter of the brain. And what happens is the brain developed in such a way that there's too many creases in certain areas of the brain, and it's keeping the brain waves from being able to travel the way that they're supposed to. And so what happens is these brain waves that are trying to send these signals they're not getting to their destination because there's material in the way. And now you have these signals that are just traveling all over the brain and that's what's causing the seizures. Um, what will happen is the brain will continue to send these messages and over time, the seizures will occur and that's why the seizures can be damaging. And that's sort of what we started to run into here. We, have, we over time have been trying to keep you know, up with Luke and, and all of his appointments and things, but then COVID hit. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and with that, you know, he was supposed to have, you know, six month EEG, annual MRI, just to kind of see his development. Well, all of that wasn't considered priority anymore. Uh, you know, when COVID hit, you know, that was just, that was routine stuff that wasn't considered a priority. We'll reschedule it, you know, and it'll be fine. And of course, we're listening to doctors say this. So, okay. Yeah. 
we'll take your word for it. Well, Luke started having seizures again because all this stuff had been pushed off. Um, at the time, in the midst of COVID, my wife had, had gotten sick as well um, and ended up that her job ended up closing up temporarily because of COVID. And it got to a point where financially we could not afford where we were living anymore. So we ended up moving back into the area, into Cambridge. Um, I was able to pick up a job and it was, it was it's definitely been helpful. But um, with that, we were also able to get into, you know, the Maryland programs and things. And it was encouraged that we go to Children's National uh, Hospital in DC. From there, we explained the story. They had all the information sent over and they wanted to see it. So we did have EEGs, MRIs, all of that followed up. Well, let me back up. They had the EEGs. They were still holding off on the MRI. Um, they were seeing the seizures. They were continuing to give him medication. Um, you know, and that's okay. But what happens when your child's on all this medication, you have no answers for it. So we definitely pushed um, in one of his more recent visits for an updated MRI because we hadn't had one since he was 18 months old. That MRI, after the team agreed to do it, showed two different things uh, that not only did the, P, the, the PMG, the polymicrogyria, not only did it take up the entire right side of the brain, uh, because initially we were told it's just like one area on the right side of his brain. We learned that not only is it taking up the entire right side of his brain, but that the seizures has, have started to cause damage. Um, and it's in his memory and his recall. Um, mm. So, you know, that explains why he wasn't retaining information that we were trying to teach him through school. You know, that explains why people that he hadn't seen in a little while, he had forgotten them. Yeah. You know, and how do you explain that to somebody who's so excited to see him, you know, and that he doesn't even remember him, you know? Mm. Um, so it was just a lot to, to take in there. Um, and in the end, you know, they were continuing to give this different medication. Most recently, our most recent visit, um, we were hospitalized for two weeks and they did an EEG. They did the MRI. They had them on a bunch of medication. Um, and it was, there was a concern that we might not even bring him home um, yeah. just because with everything going on. So that solidified the fact that at this point, Luke is going to be facing brain surgery. Um, you know, our little six year old on June 28th of this year, 2022 uh, will be, you know, facing his first brain surgery, and they expect that this may not be the only one that he has to face. Right. So it's going to be a long, drawn-out process, but it's to be able to explain the mental and emotional side of this, uh, there's not words for it. Um, now more than ever, we have had to trust God. Yeah. You know, it, it's, there's just no other explanation. So. Well, as I prepared for this conversation, Cody. Um, and I, you know, I pointed out in the introduction today that the key word here is difficult. Um, the initial questions of what's going on with Luke, you know, you've been answering those questions for a long time and uh, you still got some, but you, you also have a lot of answers. You have a lot of what answers. Um, the when answers are not as clear. I mean, you know, when the things started going wrong, you certainly know his story, but you don't know when the solutions are really going to start helping him out 
if or when. So the when's not as clear. But then it gets to the next two questions, which are way more difficult. Uh, the how, how did this happen? And how can we really help him? And it gets, it gets even murkier. Um, at least I'm, I'm presuming as I look at, at your situation. Um, is that an accurate portrayal so far of kind of emotionally the journey you've been on? Those three questions? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that's, that's definitely major parts of it. Um, you know, there's definitely, of course, the why in there, which is something that we might not ever fully explain and uh, be able to explain until, you know, until we meet Christ, you know, but um, the, the how, even the how on, on the scientific side it is, is murky because it's a rare disorder. Um, yep. You know, the, the part about the brain that, is so scary yet so amazing is that every brain is different. Um, yep. And with this diagnosis, um, every diagnosis is different. You know, there, it could be the right side of the brain. It could be the left side of the brain. It could have a focus point. It could be the entire right side of the brain. It could be this specific, uh, specific lobe. I mean, there's just so much that goes with it. And each one has its own side effects, has its own side diagnosis and all that. Um, you know, and so there's no definitive, definitive answer um, as to scientifically how this came about and why it's happening. Um, you know, for us, how are we able to to give Luke what he needs as we move forward? Uh, for one, prayer. Uh, I mean, that's that's that is the core of everything right now. We study, we pray. We ask others to pray, um, you know, and we trust him, you know, that, yeah. and that's, that's the hardest thing, you know, something that, that goes back for me, I, I can speak for me. I know Joan could probably speak for herself because I know she has her own verses too. Um, but I think of different stories um, and immediately I go back to Abraham yeah, um, because of Isaac, um, you know, before Luke, I read that story, you know, and even before having a son, I'm like, I oh, don't would I be able to do that? Um, you know, would I be able to, to trust God enough to just follow through the way that Abraham did? And my answer has always been, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. Uh, and in a different light, I'm forced to trust that this is what needs to be done. And that I have to trust that this is where I have to take Luke, that we're going to have to have this surgery and I'm going to trust God to provide in the same way that he did for Abraham. So, um, you know, if anything, the how portion on a, on a spiritual level is, is we have to trust him. We just have to trust, um, on the community aspect and on the world, how are you surviving (laughs) aspect? Um, I mean, our, our current economy situation certainly doesn't help us, but, um, I can say that the community recently has really rallied together to make things a lot easier for us. Um, you know, it's still not, it's definitely still not completely comfortable and easy and everything, but it has definitely been very helpful because uh, we, you know, we recently had, you know, our tricky tray event. Uh, we, we had a friend of ours who heard of our story uh, and what was going on and she was inspired to do a tricky trade fundraiser for us. And she, she 
to back up a little bit, she does a little bit of, of fundraising for different groups all over the area. Um, and so she's very good at what she does. Uh, but by the end of this event, she came to me and she said, I have never had a team unify so quickly to help me put on an event in my life. She said, I have never had so many donations given for an event like this in my life. She's like, and I have never had a goal reached the way yours was so quickly in my life. So for someone who's been doing fundraisers for over 20 years to come to us and say that this community came together and blew everything I've done for the past 20 years out of the water. I mean, thank you doesn't cover it. Uh, that's yeah. the community came together and has rallied behind Luke. And, you know, my understanding is that this is, this is only the beginning the community still wants to do more. They still want to help because they understand that this is not going to be fixed overnight. You know, this surgery that he's going to on June 28th is not the cure all end all. This is, this is just the beginning. Um, and so they've really rallied together to help us, you know, from a physical standpoint, from a financial standpoint, um, and really to help us get the materials that we need to, so that we can focus on Luke and not be stressed about the day-to-day -day life of making ends meet. Yeah. Well, that, that how question is huge. Um, the what, the when, the how. Um, the why is the one as a minister of the gospel, um, as your pastor, brand new pastor, uh, brand new to you. The why is the question I think about the most. Uh, and I'm sure it's a question that repeatedly comes to you. Um, and I don't have the authority to license people to say things or think things. I'm just another center on the road of God's grace. But I am encouraged by the fact that as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, why? He said to the father, why have you forsaken me? Um, it is, it is the deepest of all human questions. Why does it have to be this way? Um, as you shared concerning Luke's story, I thought of the story from Mark chapter nine of the little boy who um, had similar problems, at least physically in his manifestations. Um, and Jesus, when the father brought little boy, asked the question, how long has he been going through this? And the father said, since he was a little child, you know, essentially, as long as he's been around, he's, there's been this things going on. And uh, the father said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Um, why does it have to be this way? Why, why, do, why do fathers have to deal with this? Uh, why, why does Luke have to go through this? Why does Joan have to, to suffer as she does as a mother? Uh, we know the big picture answer. Um, when it's personalized, it's awfully hard to deal with. Um, so how have you grappled with that specifically? I mean, have you just surrendered it? We got a guy in our church, you know, in Bill Windsor, he uh, got cancer in his leg. He had given up. He was like, this is it. He made all his final phone calls, you know, made his peace with people that he had been at, at variance with, um, you know, said his thank you, said his goodbyes. He, he was going, you know, he was, he didn't want to live anymore. He was so miserable. He'd lost so much weight had amputated his leg eventually. Um, but once he was healed, once he recovered and was strong again, 
of course, he's missing his leg. Um, he has chosen not to try to figure out why. That's what he says anyway. Um, and in the same breath, he says he believes he's still here for a reason. God's got a mission for him, and he's supposed to fulfill that mission. Well, that's a why. Uh, that's the answer side of the why. Um, but just be as transparent as you feel comfortable being. Uh, how do you answer that? Especially for somebody on the outside looking in. You know, I, I, I lost a friend. He was 39 years old. And I've told the listeners about him before. His name was John. Uh, he was a deacon in the church. He was a farmer, a mentor to about a, a dozen or 20 young men uh, that he would bring on to his farm. And uh, we would work for him. And he would really befriend us and mentor us in a spiritual way and in business and such and in life. And he died in his sleep at the age of 39. And I remember a lady in our church was heartbroken. She was also very angry at God. She was like, there are jerks all around us. Why couldn't they die and leave John here? John was better than any 10 men in the church, you know? Um, so the why for her became quite a frustration, you know? And if you look back in the old Testament, I think it was Asaph that wrote a Psalm, maybe Psalm 73, uh, where he said, I looked around at the prosperity of the wicked. They seem to be just doing fine. They ain't, got, they ain't got problems and my life's full of problems. And I concluded I've purified my heart in vain. I followed the Lord for nothing. Uh, I don't understand this. You know, so he was asking why. So this why question, uh, if not proper, and I believe it is proper. I believe it leads us to God. It's inevitable, whether it's proper or not. So how, how do you speak to that, especially to those looking in? We've had people write into the church, too, people who've asked about Luke, you know, and asking me to explain to them, why is God letting this happen to Luke? So what do you have to say, uh, you know, to all that? Wow. Oh, well, there's so many different, there's so many different angles um, that I can take to answer that. Um, there are still very much a few I don't knows in there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's inevitable. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot of positivity, believe it or not, to grasp from this. Um, you know, I, I'm going to back up and tell, you know, a little story from when we were there most recently when we were hospitalized. Um, the time when we weren't, we were in there and we weren't, we were not sure whether we were going to get Luke back. We weren't sure whether he was coming home. Um, you know, my my initial reaction to things, and and I, and I think that it's in a way it's almost natural. Um, my first response was anger. Uh, you know, when we're hearing about all this, you know, you hear about why, and I mean, this is this is my son. You know, we we prayed for him, we begged for him. You know, um, now he's here, and I'm we're running the risk of losing him. He's he might not come home with us. So my answer, my question was why. Um, I'll start by saying the Lord wants us to be transparent with him. Amen. Um, you know, and so my frustration with this, and forgive me because I'm going to choke a little bit on this, but my, my frustration, I was very clear with God. Um, I was very overwhelmed with my conversations with him while Luke was admitted, knowing that we might not bring him home. You know, and a lot of it had to do with why. You know, Luke's a great kid. He has yeah. a great heart. 
through everything he faces, he can be in a doctor's office with electrodes to his head on an EEG and he's smiling through it. A great smile. Yeah. I, I don't even like going to the doctor when I have a cold, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and here he is like going through these tests and with a smile on his face, and he's making, making the doctors laugh. Like, so why does he have to face it? You know? And I think when I bring things up like that, it answers its own question because he's going through this. He's putting a smile on his face. And I just said, he lights up a room. He's being a light to people who otherwise might not see it. Um, you know, these doctors that are coming through, you know, they see a lot. They, they have to face a lot. And when Luke comes through there and he's going through all this testing, he still has a smile on his face and it's contagious. You, like the doctors and the nurses are smiling. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. I feel like in many ways, God is allowing his light to shine through the innocence of Luke through all of this. Um, you know, then there's, there's the other sign of, well, you know, wh why does it have to be Luke? I'm, I'm fully convinced. And, and I, I'm, I feel like no one could probably convince me otherwise when all this is said and done and when the victory is won here, because we're going to assume victory in this. when it's over, Luke is going to have his own story to tell. He's going to have a very solid, strong testimony to tell. And I think that alone could change lives. Yeah. You know, and so when it comes to Luke, as much as I don't want it for him, I think that there is still going to be glory to see in this when the time comes. Um, you know, and as far as Joan and I, you know, like I said, I wanted to back up to this, this last time we were in the hospital. Joan definitely has a lot of stories where she did some praying. She did some reading while we were in the hospital and God talked, God spoke with her directly through his mm -hmm. Um, I can say for me, and I've alluded this, you know, personally to you a little bit, Pastor, was that, you know, when I was there, there was no accidents in it all. We were on the fourth floor of the hospital, and on the third floor, they have what's called a healing garden. Um, and that's where people can go. They go to pray. They go to take phone calls just to get a break, whatever. Um, and that healing garden was just outside of our window. And so all day long. We were seeing doctors come out just coming from surgery, wiping their faces. We're seeing families come out on the phone crying. We're seeing little kids come out, you know, taking their chemo out in the healing garden. Um, and God just really came at me. I don't know how to say it. I feel like he came at me and was like, you know what? You have so many people praying for you. I need you to pray for them. And um, that's what I did. You know, when, when God talks to you, what do you do? You listen. Um, and so I spent a lot of time of that two weeks looking at that healing garden and praying for other people. Yeah. Um, and it made me reflect on our situation. And this is what I alluded to a bit was that our, our situation with our six year old right now is something that not many people around us that are in our bubble can connect to, can relate to directly. You haven't, they haven't had to face this and I pray they never do. Yeah. Um, but with that, God has put us in a situation where there is no advice that we can take, that there is no understanding from anyone else that we can get. He is forcing us to listen to him and to trust him. Yeah. It's like God put me in a corner and said, you're going to listen to me now because yeah. you don't have a choice. Um, you know, when, when God's that bold, <laughs> you listen.
So, I mean, when it comes to why, there's many reasons, uh, but that's, that is just a, a small little tidbit of uh, how I can answer that question. Well, I, I want to jump on to the why answer just from a theological standpoint, and uh, and, it, and it matters. Um, you know, our, our greatest, we have great authority based on our experience, according to the scriptures. Uh, what you're, what you just said comes right out of the Bible, and you know that that we suffer, and God comforts us, and. One of the purposes in all that, one of the answers to the question why, is so that he can use us in the lives of others. So as others suffer, uh, we comprehend their suffering, and we're able to comfort them. We're able to comfort them with the comfort that we are comforted with. That's specifically what the scripture says. So experience, obviously, is, um, is a very authorizing uh, voice in the life, and that's, what you're, that's where you're coming from. But there is another authorizing voice, and that is, thus saith the Lord. So even though, even though I have no experience, I, I do have the privilege of reading the scriptures and in so doing, reading the mind of God. And so to answer the question why, for example, for the young lady who wrote into the church asking, why is this? Why is God letting this happen to Luke Stevens? Um, and I'm glad she did. I, I think it's wise to ask that question. It's foolish to just say, you know, well, there is no purpose or I don't care what the purpose is. That's hard hearted, you know, um, and foolish. So looking back, the answer is actually fairly simple, right? If there had been no sin, there would be no curse. There would be no pain. Sure. So if Adam had never sinned, Luke wouldn't be going through this. It's a super simplistic answer, but it's an authorized answer from the scripture. If there had been no sin, then there would be no pain, right? So there may be other answers from various angles, you know, medically, scientifically, even experientially or spiritually. There's, there's all kinds of uh, other possibilities, but the root cause is, is the sin that the earth uh, and all of humanity is plagued by, right? Yeah. Um, and then jumping to the future and trying to answer the question why as we look to the future, that's not complica complicated or complex either. The Bible's very simplistic and pure in its answer that uh, in eternity, we who are God's children will look back and there's two specific things that are said in the scriptures. We'll look back at the pains of this life and we will say, well, that wasn't so bad after all. The glories of heaven will make the sufferings of this life look like small potatoes. That's what the scripture teaches. And that's not to belittle your pain right now, but it's to give you great hope for the future. Sure. Right. And for him, for you and for Joan, that it's not going to go on forever. It's not going to go on eternally. There will be relief. So, but secondly, it also says that the suffering we endure in this life uh, at the hand of our enemies and at the hands of God's enemies, which we know are primarily spiritual, not people, right? In fact, the Bible would really say it's uh, exclusively spiritual enemies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, 
but the suffering that we endure now at the hands of God's enemies actually earns for us a more weighty glory. That's the old King James way of saying it. So um, in other words, the more we suffer here, the greater our capacity for enjoying heaven there. So it's like if you, you ran a marathon, but you never breathed hard, your heart never raced, your feet never hurt, and you were twice as fast as everybody else. Be honest with you, it wouldn't be that big a deal. You'd finish and be like, well, that was kind of boring. <laughs> everybody knew I was going to win. I knew I was going to win. It took no effort, right? But if you're striving and you're puking and you're cramping, you know, and uh, they have to, you know, pick you up twice and and then you barely win, you know, by by a hair. Well, the thrill of the win is incredible. And the relief of sitting down and rejuvenating and resting, you know, and the accolades and so forth, they all mean that much more. So looking to the past, it's not complicated. The answer to why is because of sin. Looking to the future, the why is not complicated. It is ultimately for God's glory and our good. Even though we may not understand the how always of that, we do see the answer to the why. Sure. But then you got to deal with the present because that's where you are. Um, I'm reading a book right now. If you listen to last week's podcast, we talked, Patrick and I talked about the importance of reading in the Christian life. And I'm reading a book. It's called uh, Maps of Meaning, the Architecture of Belief by the clinical psychologist and uh, world-renowned intellectual Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, he wrote 12 Rules for Life and 12 More Rules. I've read both of those. But in this book, which, by the way, is 31 hours long, <laughs> it's an audio book, so it'll be a while before I finish that. But in this book, he tells the, the story of Viktor Frankl. Uh, he was an Austrian intellectual. He ended up um, in Auschwitz uh, and Dachau, I think is how you say that. Um, you can go look up those historical facts and make sure I got the right locations. But anyway, he was in Nazi prison camps. And uh, he tells the story of being transferred from Auschwitz, apparently, to another place. And they were unable to sit down during the transfer for three days, unable to rest, unable to sit down. When they got to the new location, they realized they were not going to where they thought they were going. And the, and the prison camp that they were in was really small. Uh, and that prison camp did not have a gas chamber and did not have a crematorium or an oven where they could literally kill living people. So they were ecstatic. And here's these prisoners. They haven't rested. They're, they're overworked. They're starving to death. You know, they're hated. Their life is in danger at all times. But they're ecstatic because there's, there's, they're not going to be gassed there right? They're not going to be thrown into an oven and, and cooked alive there. Um, and he, he said that once they got there, um, they were lining up for attendance and one man was missing. So they were forced to stand while the guards, you know, searched the whole grounds for this missing person. Well, they found him. He had gotten into a hut and fallen asleep. Well, then they they punished the whole group because of the, you know, the crime of the one. And uh, they punished them like all night long, like made them stand and march and they were cold, they were cold and, it, and they were wet and all that stuff. 
But he said, it didn't matter. We were happy. And the reason they were happy is because it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. In their mind, at least there's no gas chamber, right? At least there's no um, place where they can burn us alive. And, you know, in that sense, the why for the present is so complicated and so complex. And you're right. Those of us who are not walking through it, we can't grasp it. We, we can't grasp how hard it is. And we can't grasp God's grace and the relief and joy that you're experiencing at times as various things happen. You know, he's still, he's, he's walking around in a helmet, right? Uh, and he, he, gets, he gets worn out. And then you see these signs that you've been mentioning in some of your um, social media posts, these signs of potential seizures coming on, and he needs to be seizure-free for a certain period of time before he goes into, his, uh, into this operation. So, you know, the, the, speaking to the listeners here, the, the roller coaster of emotions of up and down and fatigue and, and all of that stuff, none of us can truly comprehend. But in the present, there is still a purpose. And not only the people that you can minister to, but how you are getting to know God. And as you've already said, being forced to trust God and, and to trust him when it, it feels like I shouldn't, you know, at times it's like, well, this doesn't, he doesn't, he's not acting trustworthy. It doesn't seem in this moment. I, I don't see how any good could come from this now, you know? Um, but the, the, the levels and layers of the answers to the question, why they just start, I mean, they just start peeling back one right after another. And we realize this is the whole point of human life to answer the question of why is the very reason of our existence. Um, so it, it still makes it horrible, still makes it difficult to see you suffer and to see Joan suffer and to see uh, Luke suffer. Um, but ultimately what we're supposed to be digging for is the answer why. We have to accept the answers God gives us. That's difficult, but we should be digging continually into this question. Sure. Yeah, I can. And if I can, I'll, I'll kind of add in a little bit to that too, is that, you know, the, the, the present state of everything, like you said, it's a roller coaster, probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, one thing that we have really as a family been trying to, to connect with um, is finding you know, for lack of a better explanation, that silver lining, um, yes. you know, the positive and in, in everything. And, and we have learned that with the diagnosis that Luke has and the severity of it, you know, that he is not supposed to be able to walk. Um, yeah. but he does. And he, he walks with a brace, but he walks. You know, he's not supposed to be able to talk, but he can certainly talk. You know, um, he, you know, isn't supposed to, you know, most kids, you know, with this diagnosis, they tend to use G tubes. They're they have digestive issues, but the boy can eat more than I can. I mean, it's it, it's been amazing to see, and so you know that has been a silver lining with us too. You know, and you you had hit something there that um, just a second ago that that really it hit home. You know, I had mentioned you know a little before when I was giving my testimony a bit that I was called to preach. Um, you know, and and I definitely feel in many ways like different experiences in combination with what the gospel and what the Bible teaches us, you know, are ways that we can connect with the community around us to show the love of Christ uh, and to really be able to share 
truly what it is, you know, that, that God has done for us and wants from us. Uh, and that's something that, that God has made very clear uh, to Joan and I specifically. You know, there are different, fa- different friends or different family members, you know, that have constantly asked the question, you know, how do you do this? What, what are you doing? How is it possible? And it's just one after another has given us the opportunity to testify about how good God has been. Um, you know, and so, <laughs> I mean, it sounds wild to say, but for many people that, that might not know Christ in the way that we do, given our situation, for us to be giving glory and thanks is mind-blowing to them. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's, it, There's no way to understand it. Um, you know, and we want to try to relate that there is a way to understand it. Uh, you know, there are resources for you. You know, there's not just people. There is a book dedicated to it. You know, that knowing Christ makes this so much more, not that we understand, but more understandable, uh, you know, moving forward. Because Joan and I will both say to this day that if it hadn't been for Christ, um, we don't know how this would have, what would be right now. Um, You know, we may not, Luke may not have come home if it wasn't for prayer. You know, Joan and I may or may not have even be together at this point because of the stress and the toll that this can take. Um, I mean, we we give everything, we give everything positive about this event to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we know that, yeah, there are hard times right now. There's a lot of things that we're facing that, you know, I could go on and on about the phone calls with insurance and medication. And I mean, it just, there's so much that goes on with this that can be detrimental, that can be negative, that can be looked at and just, you can grieve about it. Um, but we know that in the same way that God has used this and has shown us the positivity in it, that there is more positivity to come. Yeah. And that's why we're so encouraged moving forward. Like, are, are we are we nervous about the situation? Of course we are. We're parents. That's, sure. that's our nature. But we trust him. We trust him because he's gotten us this far. Um, and I can, I, I can say with a pretty good certainty that I can't, I'm not convinced that our situation would be identical right now without knowing Christ. Right. Yeah. You know, years ago I read the book, um, the hiding place by Corey 10 boom. And, uh, if you believe that our purpose is to know God and to enjoy him forever, then everything else does become relative. It doesn't necessarily change the pain level, but the meaning behind it becomes relative. And in the hiding place, she talks about being in one of those Nazi camps and having a lice outbreak uh, in their dormitory. And it was so severe that the guards would no longer come into the dormitory because the lice was was so bad. And they had a little prayer meeting, her and her sister. I don't remember her sister's name. Betty, maybe. Um, They had a little prayer meeting, and they thanked God for the lice because it gave them respite from the German soldiers. Um, Well, forget the lice, forget the soldiers, forget all the setting except for a group of believers sitting in a circle praying tears of gratitude 
to the God who made them. If that's why we are created, then again, easy for me to say, it's not my son who has the seizure problem, right? But if a, if a truth is true, it's true for everybody, right? And so the fact that you are getting to know God in an intimate way, if that's why we were, we are created, you know, and if God's getting unique glory through Luke's testimony and through y'all's testimony, and you're reaching people, as you said, that you could never reach in any other way. And I believe you are. I mean, look, when you spoke at that uh, tricky tray Saturday, there were like 300 people in there. Tons of them. I've been here for 16 years in this community. Tons of them I've never seen. Now, tons of them I had seen. But you you got to speak with grace to people that I, I would never get to speak to, you know. Um, so we just got to believe that um, that somehow or another uh, in the sweet by and by, it's going to be worth it all. And God's going to use it one way or another. But we are supposed to bear each other's burdens along the way. And it doesn't lighten you know, truthfully, it doesn't lighten the load in, in the literal sense. You're, you're still carrying a heavy burden, and we know that. So that kind of gets me to my last question. Uh, how can people help? Now, you've already said we just need folks to pray. I know that. You also need friendship, at least the offer. You need the opportunity. I know sometimes you're too busy to, to even deal with that, I'm sure. But knowing that people care and that they're paying attention, uh, that matters too. Uh, but practically speaking, uh, of course, we have that tricky tray. Is there a place where people can go if they want to help in some tangible, pra tangible and practical way? Is there a place they can go to do that? Um, well, yes and no. <laughs> okay. So we, we do know, I mean, we definitely had that event. It was definitely successful and it did help us a lot on the financial aspect of things. Um, there are things over time that Luke is going to need. Um you know, we do know moving forward, we're going to need epilepsy monitors. We do know right. that in time, uh, we are looking into a seizure alert dog uh, because, you know, we're under the understanding that even if in time, Lord willing, Luke can eventually become seizure free or have seizure freedom, quote unquote, um, then it's, it's definitely still going to be a ways down the road. And right. so we're still going to need that response. A lot of things like the monitors, like the alert dog, allows not just for Luke, but for the family as a whole to have a little bit more independence. Um, you know, right now, there is, you know, we're under constant observation with him, whether it be myself, whether it be Joan, or whether it be both of us. There's a constant observation. Right now, given his, you know, the, the fragility of his situation, date nights are a no-go. You know, we right. You know, it's uh, it's just kind of the way it is. Um, we do know that there is definitely a, a support group out there. I, I say support group in a different light, not in a sport like we all get together and talk. But the, the team that came together for the Tricky Trade fundraiser, members of that group are also looking into future events um, to try to continue to help us as we move forward. Because like we said, this is going to be it's going to take some time. Um, but you can find, you know, us directly on Facebook, obviously, as there are events, we're going to be announcing those. Um, anybody that was a part of that Tricky Trade event, you know, if you're hearing this, you can definitely go back and talk to the others, um, you know, about what might be coming down the pike. Uh, we also know, you know, that members here of the church have been involved in different things and ways that they can help. 
And so, you know, we can certainly reach out to them. Um, you know, obviously we are members here at the church. And so, you know, Pastor, I hope that I can speak openly when I say if something wants to come, you know, directly in support of us, I'm certainly thankful. And you can certainly send it to the church on our behalf. Uh, you know, that is definitely a way that we can do it. There's there's different, there's definitely some things coming down, and I don't know all the details of them yet, but I know that there will be future events. But I do know that, you know, if you're looking to get anything directly, you know, to us to try to support us, to try to help us, you can find us directly on Facebook or you can reach out to the church here directly. Um, you know, the church has been a major, major uh, area of support for us. So it, anything that needs to come that come to us can definitely come to come through the church. Good deal. I just Googled hashtag Team Luke Zechariah and y'all's Facebook page was the first thing that popped up. You know, Luke's face was the first thing that popped up. Um, so uh, that's that's a place people can go. Uh, team, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it on Facebook here just to make sure. Team Luke Zechariah. That's spelled Z E, not Z A. Yep, biblical. <laughs> That's right. Very, very biblical. That's a fun story too. I can tell you the the, the origin of that name if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. Well, so we were we were convinced initially. Well, I think I was probably more convinced than Mom was that we were going to end up having a girl. I was just I don't know why it was just on my mind we were going to have a girl. So we had a female name picked out and all that. Well, we were actually on the way to to figure to determine the sex of the baby and. Joan just said, you know, we need to have a boy's name. Like, we need to be prepared for something, and we want to be able to agree on it. So I was like, well, you know, maybe we can just check the phone, and, you know, we can go through some biblical names and figure it out. She's like, no, 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 I got one better. She pulled out her Bible, um, and she's like, I'm going to open this thing, and the first name that pops up is going to be his first name. Well, fear flew into me because they <laughs> Bible, you know. I mean, we're, we're going leg yeah, we're going to have Haggai, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, uh, I was like, okay, I guess I can trust this. Uh, but she opened the Bible and it opened right up to the book of Luke. And what's interesting was when we were younger and we were friends, I, met, I mentioned we met her, I met her when I was 13. Um, we both really liked, you know, the strawberry candies that like, if you, once you suck on for a little while, you can crush it into them. Like it has that chewy center in it. And the struggle. Oh, yeah. She opened, up, she opened up the Bible and it opened to Luke, and inside of there was one of those little candies. And so we're like, well, huh, that's interesting. All right, so we're going to do this again. Well, so now we have his first name, Luke. Um, and then we go, I'm like, well, we got to do the middle name. So now I'm really concerned. So I'm going to go towards the middle of the book this time. Well, once again, think about some of the names that are in the middle of the book. Um, and so I was thankful when she opened the book and it opened up to Zechariah. Um, I, I, we, I love that name. She loved the name. So he is Luke Zechariah Stevens. Um, but what's interesting, I can remember it back, is on the day he was born, he was born at 240. I look back to Luke chapter 2, verse 40. And the child grew strong and waxed with spirit. That's cool. And I was like, that, that has stuck with me all the way through. So you get a chance, go back to Luke chapter two, read into that. Remember when you get to 240, that that was the verse that I came across when Luke was born. And once he got diagnosed, I read that chapter again to remind me the child grew strong. 
you know so that's so cool so in a very real way, he was named by God because the scripture says that, you know, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing of is of the Lord. So there are no accidents. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine if we got, you know, Zephaniah or something like, but hey, I mean, that was his name. That was going to be his name, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. So I typed in hashtag team Luke Zechariah on Facebook. Your personal profile was the first one it popped up. So um Cody Stevens. So if, if you're listening, you can do that. If you if you're not already connected with them, uh, and then I saw on your um, your profile the address pmgawareness.org. So I'm sure if people want to know more about it, they can go there um, to find out about polymicrogyria. Is that how you said? Polymicrogyria. Yep. Wow. And so. the, the organization there. Um, if you decide to, to dig in there, you can go through and you'll see that I'm actually on the board of directors there too. Um, on a national level, I've been trying to work with the, with the organization because there's so much with it being a rare disease that is unknown and unavailable um, for children with this disorder. And so my goal has been to get in and connect with them on a very real level to try to make more resources available and to try to encourage other families that might be facing similar situations. Um, you know, since this recent, you know, severity of, of, of loose condition, you know, I have had to step away a little bit um, and the rest of the board has kind of taken on, you know, my priorities, and my duties, but uh, I'm still very much, you know, involved with that organization and definitely support their mission very much. So feel free to take a look in there for more. I'm scanning through here. Do, do they uh, tell somewhere the statistics um, of how many kids have been diagnosed with this in the world? Well, so it's, that's actually a very hard question to answer. Um, okay. You know, just because, I mean, PMG as, as a whole, polymicrogyria, you know, rare disease is categorized by globally, if, it, if it's, it's only considered a rare disease if there's less than 300,000 diagnoses on a global level. Okay. But polymicrogyria, yes, on a global level is above that. But what happens is like when Luke was first diagnosed, he had what was called unilateral, one-sided, focal, it had a focus point, polymicrogyria. So unilateral focal PMG, it was its own diagnosis. That makes it rare. And then there's bilateral parasylvian, there's bilateral diffuse. I mean, there's so many different versions of it. There's only, I think there's over 40 different versions of it. And so that's why as a whole, Yes, technically we sit out of the the realm of rare disease, but when you look at them each individually, um, yeah, every last one of them is is considered rare. So, and so when you're talking to the statistics for diagnosis, I mean, larger level, yes, we're over 300,000, but on a, on on a much more definitive level, um, it's, it's that numbers drops considerably. I got one more I guess, uh, personal and technical question about this, um, something we haven't really talked about. It just occurred to me as you were talking, my friend John was an epileptic. Uh, he had epileptic seizures. Um, I know that's different, but still the seizures were a significant fear in his life and we don't know why he died. Um, so I I guess it's possible that that's what took him out. I, I don't even know. My grandmother died of a diabetic seizure. Is that the correct term? I, yep. I'm really bad at that kind of thing. Um, but anybody who deals with um, something like 
Luke is dealing with. In addition to the disease or to the condition, uh, I don't know the proper term there, but in, in addition to his uh, circumstance physically, he has to take all this medicine. Yeah. And that has its own set of problems that it creates. So speak to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you have another hour, no, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, two sides to that. I am going to answer the medication question, but I want to, uh, you, you hit something that I feel like it's it's appropriate to, to put in here. So Luke does have what's called unilateral diffused polymicrogyria. It's one of those focused PMG disorders, uh, which means that the PMG takes up the entire right side of his brain. With that comes epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had mentioned, you know, you had mentioned your friend. Overall, if you're diagnosed with epilepsy, epilepsy is epilepsy. So he did, in fact, have epilepsy um, because of the seizures. Um, epilepsy is best diagnosed, you know, by con- constantly having to treat the seizures. Right. And they go untreated, can and can, you know, can be physically devastating, can change your quality of life, and can be fatal. Right. Um, so Luke, on top of his diagnosis of unilateral diffused polymicrogyria, he also has what's called Lennox-Gastaut syndrome, and that is his epilepsy. So Lennox-Gastaut syndrome is basically the, the understanding that Luke is having more than three different types of seizures that are untreatable by medication. Okay. Mm. So he has absent seizures. He has atonic seizures or what they call a head drop seizures where he can kind of just lose his direction for a minute. Um, he can have grand mal seizures and he can have tonic clonics. So to see the difference in them, I, I hope and pray that people don't have to, to sit through stuff like that because it, it doesn't get easier to see. Um, sure. But you know, with this, knowing that he, it's untreatable by medication or fully, it's not fully treatable by medication. Let me put right. It. Not curable for sure. Right. Is why he's having to have the, the surgeries. Now, Luke, with that, on top of the PMG and on top of Lance-Gastaut syndrome, he also has what's called left-sided monoplegia, which means his left hand, his left foot are not fully functional because of the distractions on the right side of his brain. Um, and then he also has a genetic duplication called dupe 16 P. Um, and what that means is that there are a list of things that as he grows older, that we have to keep an eye on that are considered anomalies until they present themselves. Um, and it's anything like from heart defects and so on and so forth. So Luke has a very, very detailed and complex list of things that we have to keep an eye on. Um, but with that, to go back and answer the medication question, Luke is on currently a significant amount of seizures that just allow him to be functional for the day. Um, he is on a total of five different epilepsy medications by itself. Um, he also, um, is asthmatic. So he does have two inhalers. Um, he does have heavy allergies. So he's on allergy medication. And then we do constantly, anywhere he goes, we have his rescue medication for his epilepsy with us at all times. Um, so at any minute, at any time, our whole world can change. I could be yeah. you right now on my phone ring and I have to cut this short and go. Right. Uh, you know, but that's what makes him functional. Without this medication, 
Luke would be under this constant battle of multiple different types of epilepsy. Yeah. Can't guarantee that he would even still be here without this medication. Yeah. It's literally making him functional. It's making his brain work the way it needs to work. Um, and the part that's going to be concerning moving forward is that after this surgery, you know, the goal is to slowly wean him off of this medication, but there's going to be a time where it's like, okay, we went too far. Yeah. There's only one way to know that. And that means he's going to have a seizure. Yeah. Um, you know, so our, our battle's not over. Um, yeah. Any stretch. Um, and if anything, like I said, it's just kind of getting started. The goal for this surgery is to assist in, in stopping one of the up to four types of surgery, seizures that he's having. And the goal is also to isolate the other three types of seizures. Then we wean him off the medication and then see which seizures present themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the best current explanation of where we are on a medical level with him. Yeah. Well, th thanks for going through that um, because it will help us to pray intelligently, you know, as people consider the price of drugs, uh, you know, especially when they're not covered or they don't get covered fast enough, you know, you need it now, but they're not going to come from the insurance until a later date. You just had that happen recently. Right. So you got the price, you know, you got the, the side effects uh, of the various drugs uh, and the fears, all that's connected with that. Um, so yeah, it helps people to, to pray more intelligently to have some of that information. Got anything else you need to add? No, no, I just, I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, be able to tell our story. I'm thankful to, well, I want to thank everybody who has been there to, to help us through some of the difficult times, whether it be through prayer, whether it be you know, for material, whether it be, you know, financial, however the case, um, it's hard to tell where we'd be without you. Uh, and I definitely know that on top of us, you know, having to listen to the Lord in this situation that uh, you're listening to, um, you know, I feel like God's definitely in it and has been helping you um, to help us. So I just, I'm super thankful for, for everybody who's jumped in to help us out. And uh, we'll definitely, uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted. Good deal. Well, thank you for taking the time, uh, Cody, um, to share your story. And I hope this podcast will go out there and, and really be a help and encouragement to some folks and connect some new people to you guys as well. Um, I, you, you need and deserve undivided attention from, from me, from your family, from your friend, friends, from the church. And of course you only get a fraction and that's, uh, a tragedy from my perspective, uh, but you, you, though you're not talking to me all the time, uh, you and your family are in our prayers often, much more frequently than anyone else, to be honest with you. Um, and you cross my mind a lot, and I appreciate so much uh, your patience with us. You, you offered years ago uh, to connect with me in ministry, and it just kind of never worked out that, uh, that we were able to do that, but God forced the issue and now we're together. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. Pray for God's blessings on you, your family and your ministry as a minister of the gospel. He's going to be preaching for us coming up. What's the date? 20, uh, 26th. Yep. The, June the 26th in the evening. Yep. Two days before Luke's surgery. Yep. So uh, y'all be praying for him as he preaches and then for the surgery on the 28th, pray that they'll be able to have that operation. To our listeners, no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it. 
and listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And as we uh, indicated earlier, his sister Mandy has been on the podcast and his brother-in-law Russ. So go back and listen to those episodes as well. God bless you all and hope you'll listen again next time. Thanks, Cody. Thank you. Cody indicated earlier in the podcast, uh, we got to be transparent. When we talk to you, we just got to be real. When we talk about you, we got to be real. And uh, my heart yearns to see relief and help and health and healing and solutions uh, and stability and predictability uh, in the life of uh, Luke and for Cody and Joan. Uh, we have to submit to your will. We know that. We have no choice, but we embrace it. We know that you're a good God. You're a wise God. And uh, so I ask that you would give uh, extra clarity in Cody and Joan's mind as they follow your spirit and care for their son and uh, fellowship with you and, and try to bring attention to your great name and your grace um, through the the predicament, the situation, the circumstance that uh, that they have to deal with from day to day. Uh, I'm sure sometimes they feel privileged and sometimes they feel cursed, um, but help them always to feel loved. Lord, do meet their needs, the various needs that they have, the financial needs, the emotional needs, uh, the relational needs, uh, just the wisdom they need. Uh, the strength, all the different things, um, Lord, meet their needs and help us to be a blessing to them continually. We love you and we thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.